Good morning. So uh, I want just sometimes at the beginning of a message, I give you a little personal update. Uh, thank you for the, those of you who read the bulletin and saw that Lynn and I are, I'm peepaw squared now. I have two, two grandchildren, but our first grand, our granddaughter was born in New Zealand during the course of the pandemic. And so we could not get there to meet her and she could not come here because they wouldn't let them go back. So this is the first time I got to hold a day old grandchild and yesterday for an hour and a half, he sat right there sleeping, making funny sounds and couldn't stop staring at him. So thank you. And uh, it was an emergency C-section. So there's a little bit of uh, fright in there for a little while, but um, he, was, he, he got here on May 3rd and we are excited. And Gene Hopp informed me that it was one day after her birthday. So Gene, happy birthday. Um, sorry that we, you don't get to share it with my grandson. And by the way, his name is Jasper Jordan. And uh, my daughter put in parentheses JJ, so I have, I'm completely confused as to what we're supposed to call him. So um, we, we are in the third week of a three-week series on the fact that money matters to God. And uh, in fact, Jesus in the New Testament talks about money more often than he talks about love. So, it, it, but it's also culturally, it's the thing that we're, just stay away from it. We don't, we don't love it. Um, but it's actually pretty exciting when you start reading the scriptures and seeing what, what God, why God thinks it's important. It's not for God's sake, it's for ours. And two weeks ago, we talked about what if, and it's, it's a pipe dream, but what if every Christian in the United States gave a dime off of every dollar to, the king, to kingdom, kingdom advancement, God's, God-type work, um, what, we, what could be accomplished in the world, and, what, and the fact that we only, uh, Christians on average, only give about $17 a week or 2.5% of income if you take all Christians and put it all together. The, um, the things that we are, have been able to accomplish in the world just with that kind of giving. And then last week we talked, okay, we can't control what happens um, with all Christians, but we do have some control over what happens here. Each of us has, has, has some say in what this church does. And we just dreamt a little bit last week about what we could accomplish, uh, the things that could happen in the, in, in the world, in the region, and in, in, and in our city or our county, um, if we, if each of us decided that we're going to give a dime off of every dollar. Today, we're going to talk, so it goes from global to local and now personal. And again, there's not going to be an ask. Um, I know that there's a, I have a conflict of interest when talking about money from the pulpit because you pay me a salary. Um, so I know how it can come off. It can be like, well, he just, he just wants more money. Because what we do with the offerings, we take them and the deacons go in the back and they throw it up in the air and they say, whatever, Lord, you keep what you want. Whatever comes back, we get um, I don't see the money. I don't touch the money. Um, but, but the parable today that we're going to read is, we, we kind of think of it, <clears throat> because it uses the word talent, we kind of think of it as, well, God's talking about how we're gifted. You know, if you say to someone about someone, oh, he, he or she is extremely talented, that's good stuff. But it is where the word came from. But it's actually a, a, a uh, denomination of money that they were talking about. And I'm going to do the math for you today and tell you just how much money it was that, that this master um, entrusted to his stewards, his servants. And, um, but I want you to pay particular attention today to, right at the end, what, what the master, who represents God in the parable, what the master says to the servant that was only entrusted, that was entrusted with one talent. Um, 
But even more importantly, I want you to pay attention to what the servant, that one, that steward that was entrusted with one talent, what he says to the master. Because I'm, I'm, I'm terrified that that's what our idea or attitude is toward God when in this area of our lives we don't trust him. So one more thing about it, and then we'll pray and we'll read the passage um, this passage comes, it's, it's right near the end of Jesus' life. And in, in John, the Gospel of John, the farewell discourse is when Jesus is talking about sending the Holy Spirit. We'll talk a little bit about that next week on a completely different topic. But here, it, it's, it's, it's those important things that the Savior wants to leave his people with before he goes to be with the Father. And so you see three, these three parables that kind of, they, they're all saying the same thing but they just say it in different ways. You've got the parable of the 10 virgins, five of which were not waiting for their day of their bridegroom and what what Jesus says about them. Then you have the parable of the talents and what Jesus says about them. And then you have the parable of the sheep and the goats and what Jesus says about them. So before I read this, what I will say is this. God's not kidding around when it comes to whether we're going to be dutiful and faithful or not. He's not, he's not joking. He's not, he's, it, we often, we have this picture of Jesus as being kind of a wimpy, blue-eyed British guy. Blessed are the cheesemakers, peacemakers. Um, But that's not him. He took on the rulers of the day. He took on very powerful people. And he wasn't afraid to tell him the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So I'm going to ask God to tell us the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Let's pray. Lord, tell us. Tell us the truth. And you are the truth. There is nothing untrue about you. There is no truth in the world that doesn't reflect who you are. Everything else is a lie. So we pray, Lord, that you, you tell us what you want us to hear. You show us what you want us to see. And you help us receive what you want us to receive. Lord, we don't want anything else, only what you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. So whoever's doing projection, I can't see who's up there, but I'm going to stop um, after verse after verse uh, 20 and talk a little bit about the math of the talents and then I'm going to go back. So I know that's a, that's a curveball to them because they put it at the bottom of the screen. So I just want to give them a heads up. Here's how it reads in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 and following. Again, it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money, to another, two talents, and to another one, uh, and to another, one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents brought the other five. Master, 
He said, you have entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. Now, let's just, Paul, you got, most of you know this story. Most of you know this parable. But let's just look at this. And there are two ways we can look at it. We can, we can figure out what, what a, a, a talent was worth um, then in today's dollars. Uh, but that's kind of like saying someone, someone has a million dollars. That meant a whole lot more in 1950 than it does in 2023. So let's just look at it from the, from the perspective of how, how many days of labor equals a talent. So a talent, by the way, weighed seven, approximately 75 pounds. It was like a kettleball, if you've ever seen one of those. It had a handle on it. And so if you put that on deposit, and by the way, the guy that hit it, that dug it in the ground, that's what you did um, back in the day. If you were going on a journey, you either entrusted it to a, to a trusted family member or neighbor, or you dug it and hit it. So it's not that uncommon a practice, uh, but we'll see what, what, what Jesus has to say about it. But so 75 pounds, the weight of it. And so the weight, because then weight and worth were similar, the worth of it was 6,000 denarii. 6,000 denarii equals one talent. A denarii is one day's wages for the average person. So the, the regular day laborer, the person who, the blacksmith, the silversmith, the, um, the stonemason, whatever, 6,000 days uh, of wages. So one talent equals 16.43 years if you worked three, uh, of wages if you worked 365 days a year. Or one talent, we got to be thinking about, about Jewish people. They took the Sabbath and maybe they had another day of rest. I don't know. But one talent is just over 23 years in a 40-hour work week. Okay, that, he's not entrusting his servants with a couple hundred bucks. It's basically half a lifetime worth of wages for, of your work life for one talent. So today's dollars, and let's just get, let's take it, keep it really low, because I, I don't even know what the minimum wage is right now, but I think it's more than $10 an hour. But so a 40 hours work, work week at $10 an hour is $400 a week. $400 per week is $20,800 a year. $20,800 times 23. So the guy that was entrusted with one talent was entrusted with today's equivalent at a minimum wage or below kind of just. So let's say you're a, you're a server at a restaurant where people are Dutch and they don't tip much. So I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm Scottish. I want it free, scot free. Um, that's $478,400. So today, one talent is worth 23 years of a baseline wage $478,000. So the first steward was entrusted with 115 years worth of wages at a 40 hour work week. Or using the same math at $10, $10 per hour, uh, $40, or 40 hours a week times 52 weeks, that's $2,392,000. Second steward, $956,800. And the final one, the third, who was, only trusted, who was entrusted with one talent, was $478,400. So when we read this, we think, oh, well, he, he trusted us with our giftedness. And he did. I mean, that's, what, that's where we get the word talent from this. But... But in this case, he's talking about money. Does it say more? Yes. But that's what he's talking about. So here's, here's how the story finishes. So remember that the, the, the guy who was entrusted with five, he said, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man who had two ta who, who, with two talents also came, master, 
You have entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied exactly the same way. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you, are, you, you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out, hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that I, when I returned, I, might have, I, might, I would have received back, it back with interest. Take the talent from him. Give it to the one who, is, who, is, who has 10 talents. For everyone who has will be given more. And he... And he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yeesh. The reason I can say with absolute confidence that God's not kidding. He's not kidding around when he's talking about our dutiful, that we need to be cooperating with him in our faith journey, in all aspects of our, of our lives. Because if you read the story of the 10 virgins, and so that, how that story goes, basically, um, there, there were 10 engaged women in a, in a village, and um, what's supposed to happen, because no, remember when Jesus says, in my Father's house there are many rooms, I wouldn't, I would, I, if it weren't so, I would have told you so, I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and I'll come back and, 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 and get you to take you to be where I am. Well, that's, that's, that's what a bridegroom says to a bride. The, the betrothal takes place, and then the bridegroom goes off to his father's house, and he starts building onto it. And after he puts on that room, and after he thinks it's set, he goes to his dad, and he says, hey, is it ready? Is it ready? Is it ready? Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Only when the father says that the, that the room is ready, He's built onto his father's house. Is he allowed to go to the village of his betrothed? And, and that's when the whole, now the, 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 the young lady, the young maiden, she doesn't know when that's going to be. It's all up to the father and how, how, how hard her fiance works. So what's supposed to happen is you're supposed to always be ready. And even when a bridegroom comes with his, with his, with his uh, attendants, his, the, the men who are going to witness this in this big week-long celebration that's going to take place, this all happens in the spur of the moment. And they show up, and when they hear the men coming into town, all those who are in waiting, all the women who are in waiting, are supposed to come out. Is it my day? Is it my day? Is it my day? But five of these young ladies in this parable, they just they weren't ready. They weren't paying attention. They lost hope. So Jesus here is telling his people, I'm going away. And I don't know when I'm coming back. The father does. Be always ready. So he goes from the 10 virgins to this parable of the talents. And he says to this, to this last steward, you're wicked and lazy and you're worthless to me. Now, it's a parable. He's not saying that to an individual person. But it's pretty clear what he means. He's saying the same thing that he was saying, really, 
in the parable of the ten virgins. And then you get the sheep and the goats. You remember how that works? Lord, Lord, get away from me. Or when I was hungry, when I was thirsty, when I was naked, you fed me, you gave me water, and you clothed me. When, Lord? What you have done to the least of these, you have done to me. And he says exactly the same thing to those who didn't. When, Lord? What you have not done to the least of these, you have not done to me. This is the section of the gospel according to Matthew, where Jesus is saying, it now, as far as it depends on you, it now matters more than ever. So, what's our attitude toward God with our finances? I'm fearful, I told you that last week, that, that my, my nature is to be greedy and afraid because of what happened when I was growing up. My dad, he, he went bankrupt after he left us. There were creditors calling all the time. We just didn't have anything. We didn't know. We still lived in the same, in the same house. We didn't lose that. My dad lost everything but his house and his wife. Um, but you, you get kind of, you can learn. Any of you know people that grew up in the Great Depression? You reuse everything. You never throw anything away. You, 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 you store things up for a rainy day. You want to be prepared for when that happens again. We've seen that with people in the pandemic, um, people that stored up toilet paper. <laughs> Remember those days? People that stored up pasta and canned goods because there might be a day when I go to the store and I cannot find it. Some people started gardening, which is really cool, but, but what we do based on our experiences or based on, well, not necessarily based on our experiences, but definitely based on our fear, we go, I'm never letting that happen to me again. And we do that with our money because we don't trust God. We think he's a hard master. We think that he's going to take from us when he didn't earn it. That's the whole idea of, of you, you, you harvest where you haven't scattered seed. I don't want that to be true of us, but I'm fearful in a good way that it might be. It might be that I don't want to be generous because I have a, an idea of lack. I have a scarcity mentality. But if you think back to almost everyone's favorite Favorite Psalm, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. So either God is good and he is faithful to his people and we have to trust that or God isn't faithful. So we shouldn't trust it. Those are the, it is binary. Those are the only two options that Christians have. That's it. God is trustworthy in all areas, or he is not. And if he's not trustworthy in any one area, he is not trustworthy in any area because God does not fail. God does not lie. God does not break a promise. And God cannot be faithful and faithless. It doesn't work with God. It cannot work that way with God. So my question, the title of the message, what's it to me? And I would ask that each of us ask that question. 
What is this to me? We've talked about money. We've talked about the great things that the church can do, that the church is doing, the church universal. We talked about what we could be doing here, and we've never, I've been here for 10 years, and we've never ended the year in a deficit. So I am proud of you. I'm proud to serve you. I am proud to know you. You are phenomenal, generous people. But what might God be asking of us now that there's inflation, now that there's economic turmoil, now that now that the whole world seems to be saying the only thing in the world that isn't good is God. What should Christians do when we want to hoard? What should Christians do when we want to save up and, and be prepared for when the economy shuts down again? For when the stock market falls apart? For when your 401k or your pension funds are, 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 are taken? Or when your bank is the next one that collapses? What should Christians do? Bury it in the backyard in a, in a coffee can? Shove it into your mattress? Well, the natural thing to do when things look hard is to hold on and back off on spending. Okay. But what we typically do, that's what we tell ourselves, but what we typically do when things get hard, when things get scary, is we, we, we don't back off on spending, we back off on giving. Because God doesn't need it. And you're right. God does not need it. And because God doesn't need it, we think we do. God doesn't ask us to give for his sake. We need to do what comes unnatural to us. We need to say, Lord, yes, your will not mine. Imagine what the world would be like if every Christian on the planet saw needs and met it. If every Christian on the planet had faith in God and not in finances. What would happen if we decided that we're going to be faithful instead of faithless? I'm going to just tell you one little story, and then I'll kind of sum up here at the end. Uh, I got a call this week. Dear friends of mine, I've known them for years, um, and, and I, I'm going to try to keep them anonymous. Uh, if you know their story, you probably know a little bit, but four years ago, they had a, little, they had, they had a child together, and um, very exciting, uh, but there were some medical complications, and between the insurance company and them and deductibles and co-pays and all that kind of stuff, because the, 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 the little boy was in the hospital for quite a while, um, they, they paid up, took them a while to pay it all off, okay. Um, set that aside for a second. Last week, they're, they're here. They hear the message, and um, I, I, got, I got this call, but she had got a bit of a promotion earlier in the year, but they hadn't adjusted their giving. So in the car on the way home with the little boy in the back seat, they, they you know, she said to him, um, hey, we should probably think about this. We, we haven't done any adjustment. Um, and he goes, yep. And they got home, they talked about it, and they realized that they wanted to, they wanted to catch up. On the, on the giving. Um, I, don't know that, I don't know how biblical that is, but, but we're okay. And they said, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt a little bit. We're going to notice. But they decided to do it anyway. Four days later, they get a call from Holland Hospital. Turns out they had overpaid by $6,500 four years ago. And the check was, quote, unquote, in the mail. She didn't believe it, so she called her bank saying, did we get a refund? Did we get, you know, all the way back to four years ago? You didn't make a single deposit other than direct deposits in that entire six-month span where you were paying off the hospital. So I get this call, and they said, you know, 
It's funny how that works. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of coincidental. But there's a whole lot more coincidences that happen when we're faithful. And she goes, imagine the blessing that I would have missed out on if we hadn't said, yes, Lord. And then her husband gets on the line. We were on speaker. I didn't know that. But he gets on the line and goes, you know what? If you would have preached this message last year, I would have had that money earlier. (laughs) I got got to give him credit because that's what I'd be thinking. So if she called because she wanted, she like, you, you, if, you, if, you, if you can work it into the message, feel free. And I think it's a cool story. Does that mean that if you start giving a dime off of every dollar, if you adjust your giving to fit what God says that it should be, because he has entrusted, remember when he said he, he entrusted them with his property. I know you've worked for your money. I work for mine. But it is your, your ability to earn that money is an ability that is God-given, so everything that is good in our lives belongs to God. And he, all he asks is that you treat it as if it's mine, not mine. But if we bury it because we think God is not good, because we think he is a cruel God, because we think he is an angry God, because we're afraid of, of getting from him something negative, Then he said to that servant, you wicked and lazy servant. And later, take away even what he has and give it to the one. And notice what he says in there. And I don't, I'm not saying that it equates dollar for dollar. I'm not saying that if you start giving faithfully, $6,500 is going to show up in four days. I have no idea. But I do know this. If you're faithful with the small things that God has entrusted to you, even more will be entrusted to you. And if you're faithless with the small things that God has entrusted to you, even that will be taken away. So why is it that Christians look just like the world in marriage statistics, in anxiety? Eh, that's not the right word. Why is it that we're just as afraid as the world when we have a God who we cannot be separated from. And one of the ways where we can show the world, but more importantly, one of the ways that we can say to God, I don't believe that you're a cruel manager. I think you're a God, you're you're a good God, a loving Father who is generous to me. And I want to be like you by being generous with the things that you say are important in the world. My... Why don't we do what comes natural to God instead of what comes natural to us? So what's it to you? I don't think I need to say it. I think you know. I don't want this to be true, that God says, or that the master says in this parable that the God of the universe spoke, the living word told us this, that if you take what I give you, what I entrust to you, and you bury it, you do nothing of God with it, then I'm cast out. Not my words. His. Get away from me, you evildoers. Not everyone says, that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter my kingdom. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. It time and 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 time again, just in the Gospels, Jesus says, you will know who your Lord is 
by what you do with your finances. So who's your Lord? That's what's to you. That's what it is to you. Who is your Lord? I don't know. I know that for me, it goes back and forth. Mammon, money, God. Money, God. Money, God. Oh, how I wish. And as far as it depends on me, I will work toward it being God, 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 God. Let's pray. Lord, this doesn't work. But you tell us in John 14 that you do not give as the, as the world gives. And the world says that everything depends on how much we have. And you say, I have given you everything. You don't need to hold on to these small things. Lord, help us have the courage to be faithful with the things that you've entrusted to us and believe, whether it be financial or otherwise, that you, that, that even more will be entrusted. And Lord, for those of us who struggle or those of us who are just determined to not be faithful with what you've entrusted, I pray that you convict us, that you pierce our hearts, and that you speak truth to us. Because there's a lot of talk right now about is the end coming? Is the Lord coming back? Lord, if it is, we better be ready. I pray that you make your people ready. And Lord, if it's not, I pray that you make your people ready. In Jesus' name, amen.